Eye on 2020, episode 308. Have 2020 vision with Ion 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. Hey, what's up, everybody? Ray Eaton here, host of Ion 2020. This is your Monday show. I appreciate you joining me for another week looking at the 2020 election cycle. And I've been really thinking to put together this Joe Jorgensen episode, and I'm not going to be doing that one today. I still have some work that I want to do. Hopefully, I get that one out to you guys on Thursday. I just need to uh, really put together the thoughts because I want to make sure that it's a good defense of voting for a third-party candidate as well as a good defense of voting for Joe Jorgensen because definitely she uh, definitely has the views that I would go along with. Obviously, you're never going to find the one person that you wholeheartedly agree on every single issue. That would be kind of weird if you agreed with somebody on every single issue. Uh, A lot of libertarians, it seems like we hold people to our own ideology and our own beliefs and if they kind of fray or stray from them on one percent of the things then obviously those people start to i don't know talk bad about that person oh look at her she believes in this or oh look at her she goes along with this or she doesn't take this all the way to the level that i do and all of a sudden you're looking to say i'm not going to vote for that person a lot of libertarians don't even vote in the first place so there's really no reason to talk about that. <laughs> like Joe Jorgensen, if you're not going to vote, because if you have no reason to vote at all, then there's no reason to like knock that person in the first place. Obviously better than Donald Trump and obviously better than, than Joe Biden, which are the two people that are running. And a third party vote is really just a vote for a, a thumb in the eye of the system in some ways. That's the way I always look at it. So I just want to make sure it's a pretty good case, and I'll be putting that show together very soon, hopefully. I've been talking about it for about a month now. I've been thinking about it for a couple weeks, and I've been kind of taking some notes and everything going forward. But hey, what I wanted to talk about today is basically the cover of The Economist magazine this week comes out, and it says, free money, free money. And I'm thinking about that, and it really is... A world that we're living right now of free money the government is just on a spending spree six hundred dollars to anyone extra federally to anyone that goes on to unemployment you literally have people asking their employer to fire them or let them go or you know downsize so they can get that extra benefit because if you're making four hundred dollars a week three hundred fifty dollars a week and you can get your company to lay you off not only are you going to get the 250 to 300 dollars a week that comes from unemployment benefits but you're going to get the 600 dollars on top of that from the federal government what made them even think to do that i mean obviously you're in a pretty dire situation with companies that are letting people go and laying people off because they can't afford to stay open and or their order just closed down during COVID-19. You have business owners who are able to get that extra $600 as well. 
I have people that I know in the industry that I'm in who closed up their business except for coming in one day a week to do a little bit of collections and stuff like that because I guess they're allowed to work a certain amount of hours under that and and still get that $600 a week but they want to get that extra $600 a week so they close down shop there's people that are looking to get laid off because of that so yeah there's free money out there they're talking about giving people another round of stimulus checks 1200 bucks i guess you know close to four thousand dollars for a family of four and where does that money come from it's printed it's borrowed it's you know it's nothing it's not taxed because the, com- the the government's running a deficit every single year as it is from tax money. Tax money comes in three hundred and fifty or three point five trillion dollars per year, but then they're spending four and a half trillion dollars per year on average. But now they just spend another three trillion plus. They're trying to pass another three trillion, possibly somewhere between three and one tr- or one in three trillion dollars. So when the Economist says free money. The mentality of the American people right now is that somehow this is free money. But where does that lead? And let's see what the implications are of that. Because there are consequences to these actions. There are things that... There are unintended consequences to everything that government does. So what are the unintended consequences of all this free money? You wonder because from an inflationary standpoint giving people or sending out, I guess, printing money and sending out checks when the economy shuts down, it doesn't have that much inflationary effect because a lot of people save that money. A lot of people stock, stash, stash that money away or people spend it on stuff that they otherwise would have spent money on in the first place. So there's not too much inflationary effects. I've seen some studies that were talked about. And I've listened like Bob Murphy and he talked about it as well. Like there's not a huge inflationary effect from some of the stimulus, but there is other stuff. There are other other unintended consequences as well, and you're starting to see not this, not just the money that was given to people that were that lost their jobs, or given to people who just got the stimulus checks, but the businesses and the other companies that were able to get the PPP loans and all that stuff. Like, there are starting to be some effects of that. And one of them is the the value of the U.S. dollar is sinking right now. The value of the U.S. dollar is sinking right now. So what that ends up doing is, if you're buying stuff from other countries, imports that come in, it costs more to bring those imports in because the value of your dollar goes down so if it once cost you a dollar to buy a widget from China or from Vietnam or wherever and now you're trading those dollars for the value of that product they might be charging a dollar 10 or a dollar 20 or a dollar or two dollars so that would be the inflationary effect on those things as the dollar goes down in value has less buying power then the cost of things goes up as a whole. Now, what if you're a saver? What if you're one of the baby boomers who retired at the age of 65? You have 
X amount of dollars in your in your 401k or your IRA, and you're living off of that money, and you're not putting it into riskier assets. You're putting it into bonds, all ready for the last, you know, 10 years or so, bonds and the return on bonds has been way lower than it normally is. So you're tracing after higher risk assets in order to get a return on that investment because think about this. You're not, if you save a million dollars for retirement over the course of your life, and you were one of those people that socked away, you know, maxed out your IRA every single year. You were putting four or $5,000 in there. I think that was the, for the, recently that's what it's been. I think we started off as like $2,200, a year that you're allowed to put in there. But you started doing that in the 1970s and all of a sudden you retire 40 years later and you have a million dollars sitting in there. You're not just going to sit there and live off the million dollars. You're looking to get a return on that money so that you could replace your income with that money. So if you have a million dollars and you're able to get a 6% return on bonds, you could have $60,000 a year to live off of. And that's your goal. You're not looking to dip into the million dollars. You're looking to live off of the investment return. So you are looking to get a 6% return. And there was a time when bonds of like a 25 or 20 year, 30 year bond or something like that might get you a four, five, 6% return. There was a time when that was the case. But over time, and I, I'd love to look it up now, but it's probably like 2 or 3% that you'd get on these things. So you went from the potential of $60,000 a year in retirement income from the assets that you have to a twenty dollars to $30,000 return. So now you got your Social Security, you got your little bit of investment money coming in, but you're living at a lower standard than you intended. You're living at a lower standard than you wanted to. And now, with the U.S. dollar tanking, with the U.S. dollar going down in value every single year, with the U.S. dollar, especially with all this printing of money that they've been doing, losing its value, you're going to have less of 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 a standard of living than you otherwise would have wanted as well. Because everything you buy costs more money. As inflation takes a toll on people's savings, people that are savers are getting screwed in this situation. And there's a lot of savers, there's just a lot of baby boomers out there. And that's probably one of the reasons why bonds have gone down in value in the first place, because of the supply and demand that goes along with that. They're converting their money from asset based investments like owning stocks to income based assets which is bonds if you take if you take an entire generation of baby boomers who are investing in riskier assets assets in their 30s 40s and 50s and then as they enter into their 50s they start converting those into less risky assets then obviously there's going to be a demand for those less risky assets which is going to cause those prices to go up which in the bond world that means the val- the price of or the return on those investments goes down but then also with the amount uh, with the central bank controlling the price of 
borrowing through setting interest rates and all that stuff, that causes more downward pressure on it as well. And they're trying to keep inflation around 2%. That's their goal. So they're really trying to focus in on making that happen. And then they end up kind of screwing up the market. Having unintended consequences. And now we're seeing the Congress in... I mean, our government is just out of control on the spending. And it's only bad for those savers. They start chasing... So let's say that retiree says, man, I really, I saved a million dollars in my life. And I was really hoping to get a 6% return, but I can't even get a 1% or 2% return on these safe assets. So I'm going to start investing in some other bonds that are maybe a little bit more risky, maybe some corporate bonds. So they start buying the corporate bonds. And then they're, that's a little bit riskier of an asset. And now corporate bonds start getting a little bit more inflationary as well where people, the demand for them goes higher because these people are chasing the riskier assets. So then that causes the amount that they can get returned on those assets to go down. So now instead of getting 6 or 7% return on their corporate bonds, they might be getting 3 4% because they're looking for safer, safer bonds, you know? Safer ones. And then they move on to try to find chasing more risk. Just a little bit more risk. So we're going to go with some... S&P 500 stocks. That's it. We're just going to go with, you know, the top companies in America. And that inflates that. So we're in an inflationary bubble on assets and on the bonds and so forth. Because they're says these retirees are chasing some sort of return because they have to because they have to live. They saved their entire life and now they can't get a return on things. It's really interesting to, to think about that, but it's destroying their savings. It's destroying our uh, our ability. If you're a younger person, if you're not retired, it's destroying your ability to get a strong return as well. And it makes it way more risky because as those people start selling those stocks, or as that bubble starts to deflate in the asset the asset bubble that we're having then all of a sudden your portfolio, your retirement savings, which is in riskier assets because you might be in your 20s, 30s, or 40s, and you're investing in slightly riskier assets, all of a sudden those go down in value as well. And it's bad for everybody. And we're sitting there looking at a dollar right now that is starting to get weakened because they are just printing the hell out of money right now. I mean, free money, that's on the cover of The Economist. And when you look, or if you look at the idea of having free money, that turns into inflation. And America has not had a lot of inflation lately. There's, there's, I can't remember the name of the book, but there was a book that I read that was talking about the deflationary period from 2016 to 2017 into the 2020s. And then in the late 20s, 2020s is when you might start seeing some inflation again. But having a strong deflationary period because of the way that the baby boomer generation is. For example, in the 1980s when these baby boomers are starting to buy or I think it was in the 70s, 1971, 72, 73, these baby boomers are coming of age, they're buying their first houses, and the most houses ever built is the year 1971, I think that was, and 
that was the year that the most of the baby boomers turned, you know, 22, 23 years old or 24 years old or something like that when it was the average year that they would buy their first house because they're graduating from college or they're getting their careers. And then new furniture, like the largest year for new furniture being built was the year 1989, I think, or 1990. And that's because the average baby boomer started to see their kids move out of the house that year. So what do you do when your kids move out of the house? You buy all new furniture. Like, they really control a lot of the markets because there's so much buying power within that group. Like right now, if you're not investing in nursing homes or long-term care facilities, like you see it all over your neighborhood, I'm sure. Assisted living facilities, long-term care facilities, nursing homes are going up all over the place because they need to take care of them. So those people, they have an effect on the economy. <clears throat> and they're going to be chasing, chasing some sort of way to invest their money and make a return. But that's what I want to talk about is just the fact that we have a dollar that is getting weak and that is caused by what our politicians are doing right now. And we need to hold them accountable, but we don't. I was thinking about this over the weekend. I was thinking like the kids nowadays, the young people, they're so much louder and so much more vocal about their socialist beliefs than there's ever been in the past, right? I mean, they follow Bernie Sanders. They think he's the greatest guy in the world. They think that government can take care of all their problems. They think that the government has unlimited spending ability because you know what it is, is no one talks about it anymore. The fact that there's uncontrolled debt, that the government spends out of control. No one talks about the federal deficit. No one talks about the national debt. You hardly hear about it. It's just everyone has their head in the sands. The politicians do. The Republicans do. The Democrats do. You don't hear the libertarians talking about it too much either. It's not front and center on people's minds. They just have this feeling that we can get free health care for everybody. We can have free college for everybody. We can have free this. We can have free that. Free everything. And no one questions it. It's unquestioned in society now. So why wouldn't a young person growing up just think in their mind, oh yeah, you could just spend all you want. We could just ask our politicians to do anything that we want them to do. And they can do it. Because government is God in some ways and has, you know, unlimited resources. But there's not unlimited resources. Everything is limited. If you just print money and spend it, it has inflationary effects somewhere in the economy. Maybe not in the standard definition of inflation, which is a, you know, a carton of eggs and a gallon of milk. But there's inflation elsewhere. You saw it in the house, housing bubble. Money went to housing. More money in the economy went to housing because of government policy, and it inflates that bubble, and that bubble bursts. You saw in tech. More money goes into tech. It inflates and bubble bursts. Government policy can create bubbles. And create inflationary bubbles. You don't see inflation at the lowest level, which is the a consumer part of it at that point, as much. But 
you will see it elsewhere. Like right now, for example, there is huge inflation in the automobile market. I know this because that's what I do for a living. I'm in the automobile market. I'm in the wholesale automobile market. And car dealers cannot buy cars. Car dealers are at the auction trying to buy cars at the price that they would sell it for retail prices. If you would normally buy a car for 14000 or a Nissan Altima that's a couple years old for $14,000, that's what they're trying to pay at the, at the auctions right now for these cars because what happened is all of the auctions shut down, but the consumers kept on coming. During COVID, all the auctions shut down. Most of them did. A lot of them shut down for a couple of weeks, but then they finally went online and they started selling online. But there was a glut of buyers in the market because a lot of people were getting their three, four, five thousand dollar checks from the government. So they would they were also getting their tax checks. So they would go to the auction or they would go to the dealers. They'd buy cars. They'd have big down payments. The car dealers sell those cars. Now they go from having 15, 20 cars in their lots down to having two or three cars in their lots. They have to go re up that supply, but there's no way to go buy new cars. So then they go to the auction and everybody's in the same boat. They're all trying to restock supply so it bids the price of the cars up. Government policy though. They they, they sent out four thousand checks to people, four thousand dollar checks to people. And those people took that money and they went and bought cars with it. A lot of people did. I have car dealers that in April and May and in June, they had the best months that they've had in a long time because or in years. Because people are coming with these big checks. Because people were buying cars with it. Good for the car dealer. <clears throat> Bad for him now. Because now those inf- those inflated prices are starting to hit him. And a lot of car dealers are not buying cars. They're very har- scared to take on that risk. To pay retail price for a car at an auction. Hoping to make a little bit of money off of that. When they take it to their lot. But they're not able to make the normal profits that they normally would. For taking on that risk of buying those cars in the first place so there is inflationary pressure and it's government policy that causes a lot of that stuff and it's not in the carton of milk and the gallon or the carton of eggs and the gallon of milk but it's in the cars but people think that government can just do whatever it wants to and get away with it people don't question that stuff and it's just I was just thinking about it over the weekend and it just drives me crazy but these younger people are very vocal about this stuff. But I saw a meme over the weekend and it was absolutely hilarious. It showed you've seen those, you know, those pictures of the military, the guys in the military garb over in Oregon and they're dressed and they have their canister things with a tear gas or whatever and they're standing there in their line and it shows one of the protesters sitting there and it has the little thing that shows him screaming it says I demand that you pay for my health care I demand that you pay for my health care or I demand that you create single payer health care or something like that and it's just funny because these people they are so against government abuse at the police level and they just don't see the contradiction there that if you ask the government to do anything they they're in control at that point they're in control of your health care they're in control of your policing they're in control of your safety right now and you see that that gets abused by the trump administration 
by the local police officers at some point. Like, there is a problem with police brutality. There is a problem with over-policing. I'm not convinced that it's a racist thing. I'm convinced that it's a police brutality thing. I'm, I'm convinced that it is a over-policing thing. But these, the people that are, the young people, they want the government to do all of this stuff and they don't realize the unintended consequence will be that government's going to have to force people to, if they, for example, if they decided that they were going to be in charge of health care, then it's going to be the government that gets to ration the health care out. And it's going to be politicians that make political decisions to decide who gets health care or where the hospital goes or how many beds that hospital is going to have. Politicians are going to make those decisions. And what happens when politicians make decisions? We know this. They take underhanded bribes. They listen to the lobbyists. They let those they let the donors make the decisions for them. Because they're making political decisions, not financial decisions. And that's wrong. Uh, there's gonna be rationing in healthcare. There always will be because it's a limited thing. But do we want the government to ration that? Because then it becomes a political issue? Or would you rather it be rationed some way? through the financial markets. That sounds uh, it sounds mean, but it's going to be rationed. So, I would say that it needs to be done through free markets because somehow somebody is going to look for ways to provide healthcare cheaper over time, and we do not have a free market in healthcare now. And that's the problem why the prices are rising because in any free market prices come down over time. They do not go up. Unless there's no demand for that, then maybe the price would go up at that point. But the young people out there today, for some reason, they just think that it's unlimited. It's because we don't talk about the problems of government spending. We, we, everyone hides their head in the sand, they don't pay attention, and they just ask for their politicians to do more. We, as libertarians, need to stand up against that. We need to start talking more about that and start educating our friends about the challenges of unlimited government. The things that happen when you let politicians make decisions that are going to affect you financially. That retirees are going to be losing their savings because of the fact that these politicians continue to do things that debase our currency and cause the value of the dollar to go down. But they just continue to spend money, which is going to cause inflation. We need to end the Fed. We need, I mean, there's things that we need to talk to people about when it comes to the Federal Reserve and things that the Federal Reserve's doing, the things that the politicians are doing. We need to talk about limited government and make that the focus of our conversations with people. Especially during the election year, because that's when they're actually listening, or more likely to listen. Okay, last topic today. Federal Reserve is talking about buying stocks, buying corporate stocks. To me, another reason to end the Fed, they are going to cause such a terrible, I don't, I don't know what you would call it, but if you're, I mean, there is an economic term, I'm just at a loss for the word right now. It's, oh, that's what it is. It's moral hazard. It's such a terrible moral hazard 
if the Federal Reserve starts buying stocks. Right now they're buying some corporate bonds and stuff like that, which that's a moral hazard as well, because what happens when they decide to go into the market and buy the bonds? They're going to be propping up a business that cannot otherwise sell their bonds on the free market. So that that business should probably go out of business in the first place if they can't sell their bonds, if they can't get the free market to buy their bonds. So now the Federal Reserve is going to come in with this unlimited amount of money, the ability to, to print as much money as they want to, and buy bonds. And now they're talking about buying stocks. Where does that lead except to corruption? Where does that lead except to... I mean, what I was thinking about over the weekend is that the Federal Reserve is going to have so much power, more power than the Federal Government, because the Federal Reserves can print money, guys. So instead of going to... instead of, If you think lobbyists were bad, if you think lobbyists in Washington, D.C. are bad, going to Congress to get this and get that and another thing, just wait until the Federal Reserve can buy stocks and bonds and all those lobbyists, instead of going to elected politicians who have at least a little bit on the line if they make stupid decisions. And now they can just go to the Federal Reserve and say, hey, we're going to lobby the Federal Reserve to buy our... You know, IBM stock because our company is having a little bit of struggles. And we don't want to go out of business. And we're too big to fail or whatever. Think about the corruption that's going to go on there with the backroom deals and the smoke, you know, smoke-filled backroom deals that are going on between corporations and the printing press, essentially. It's going to be insane, the moral hazard that would happen there. And the businesses are not going to be better off because... Bad businesses should go to business, and good businesses should flourish. And that's just a fact. But anyway, guys, that's what I want to talk about. Keep an eye on that, though. If they do start buying stocks and bonds, it might be good for your portfolio for a little while, but in the long run, guys, it is going to be terrible for business in America. It's going to make them less competitive. It's going to make the the bubble inflated even higher. And when that bubble bursts, when that bubble bursts, it is going to be terrible not only for your parents, but you and also your kids, grandkids, and everyone beyond. Because America won't be a better place. It'll be a worse place in that time. But hey, guys, I appreciate you joining me. This is your Monday show. Come on back on Thursday if you want to. I've noticed the numbers are growing. That's great. Share it with your friend. That would be awesome. I appreciate it. If you really like what you're here, just share it with a friend. Also, give me a five-star rating and review on your Apple uh, iTunes, if you'd like to, I'd appreciate that. Uh, you can follow me at iontheempire.com. You could also type in at iontheempire now and find me on Facebook and on Twitter. So I was able to figure out how to make that happen. You just type in at iontheempire and boom, it'll pop up if you're on Facebook. And it's been like that on Twitter as well. But then uh, I would say the best thing you do at that point is coming back on Thursday so you can have clear vision for 2020.